0: Welcome to episode 185 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Lovin. I like the way you say lovin'. Lovin'. This episode, we hung out with Matt Spiel. He's the director of design at Treehouse.
1: He was in town. Yeah, he came and hang out with us. He came and hanged out with us. He came and hang out with (laughs) us. That was real good. Uh, Yeah, super fun episode to catch him when he was in town. We hope you enjoy it. Before we get into it, a couple things. We've been working on Spectrum real hard, R- real hard, like R- real hard. That's I think what,
0: it's so hard it broke my brain, and so I said,
1: "Come and hang out with us." So it's been. Uh, this is the third episode we're talking about on. but we're it's built- like the third week we've been working on it. So if if anyone is part of our Slack team, which I hope some of you are, uh, that's it: spec.fm/slash/slack. Uh, we're we're bumping up against the free limit that Slack. Let's us have. We're like 8,000 almost getting, getting there. Um, so and we think the number's somewhere around 8,200. Yeah. So we're getting close to that limit. So we've been working on a thing called Spectrum, which we hope will be a cool place for this community to hang out and get together and talk about design and development and things like that.
0: Among many other communities, we're building it out so that you can experience like a whole bunch of different like Whoa. excitement. Cool.
1: So the hype the, train,
0: the hype train's real. In I'm the main, very, I'm very stoked. I'm on the hype train. I'm, I'm, I just want to live
1: on the hype. I'm train. All aboard. If you want ho- I'm not bored. If you want to get on this train, the hype town, you can join our Slack team. Still, there is some space. Uh, that's at spec.fm/slash Slack. Just look for the Spectrum channel, uh, and we'll be sharing some updates in there. That's and the train station for the hype train. That is the train station. All aboard. Of course, everyone that's in that channel will be first to know when we do start opening things up. So That's how train stations work, Brian. When you open the door, the people on the platform see it. Choo-choo!
0: And with that, let's get into episode 185 with Matt Spiel. Can I do a better choo-choo? Choo-choo!
1: <laughs> <laughs> Little voice crack in there.
0: <laughs> that was actually a really good choo-choo.
2: Uh, my name is Matt Spiel. I'm the director of design at Treehouse. I um am married to an amazing woman named Amber. I've got a son named Oliver who'll be five in a little bit, and a daughter named Margot who'll be two. And I hail from the state of Arizona.
1: And you know how to wink, apparently.
2: Boy do I. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but by way of Missouri.
2: I live in Missouri right now, yes. But I grew up in Arizona. Um I'm I haven't written a will yet, but when I do it will state that I must be buried in the state of Arizona. Whoa,
1: you like Arizona, huh? Love it. Wait, hang on. We got two problems here. One, you haven't written your will, and you have kids <gasps> two, working on it. You want to be buried in Arizona in the desert, where all well, the—that's where all the other ashes are.
2: That—that that is actually a misnomer. There is a lot of not desert in Arizona.
1: No bullshit. I only believe what I saw on the map of the United States when I was in third grade. That's yeah, fine. it was a desert with a cactus.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's
2: I've a... been
1: to Tucson.
0: It's—it's it's all desert.
2: Tucson is an interesting town. Um, Where are you from? In because it's made in desert.
0: It's I'm just from, cacti instead so, of yeah, buildings. I, in
2: I grew up in a suburb of Phoenix called Mesa. So if, if is that in uh, the desert, <laughs> that it, sounds like it's a desert. If, it's uh, yeah, it's actually Spanish for table. No, um, I, yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> Uh, so if Phoenix were an onion, it would be the second layer from the middle. <laughs> it's an so,
0: onion desert.
3: Uh, there's <laughs> so Phoenix, it's the second
2: bloom. desert. Yeah, it's East Valley, so Tempe, and then Mesa's further and There's one more layer, and then you get into the Superstition Mountains at that point. Wait, literally? Is that a metaphor? No, it's, that's a, it's the name of the mountain range. Oh. There, so um, <laughs> there's a whole... <laughs> I mean, I can teach you guys all about Arizona if you want. Uh, people from Arizona, Arizona teach you know about know a geography lot about their and stuff. Two things. The Superstition Mountains, the reason they're called that is because there was a, uh, a myth about the lost Dutchman who found a, a large, um, basically a large portion of gold in the mountains and never told anybody about it. So there's people that, you know, there's gold diggers that go out and try and find that, uh, treasure hunters and stuff um so so if you're from arizona they teach you the five c's of arizona you guys ready for this
0: whoa hang on prepping wink when you're ready (laughs)
2: perfect cattle copper climate cactus citrus nope excuse me not let me start it over i gotta get this right
1: (laughs) we're keeping this in
2: cattle copper cotton climate citrus Cactus could be one of them.
1: <laughs> Why climate?
2: Cactus made more sense. To Why me. climate? Because Arizona actually has a very diverse climate. Most people think it's a the desert. There's actually a lot of high altitude forests. Um, you know, eight, nine thousand feet, alpine forest, similar to Tahoe. Um, there's, it's, it's, it's a beautiful state. Um, if you love being outdoors, it's, it's amazing.
1: I know. We just like to shine our ignorance sometimes on the podcast. I don't
2: mind educating about no, we Arizona. Appreciate it. So.
1: Boom. Drop, so those, five, that Arizona those the five C's, it sounds like they really shaped who you are today.
0: Yes. Well, except Very for- so. <laughs> except My copper rings. That. Especially <laughs> that citrus. That citrus, well, thing. citrus stuck around, right? Huh? <laughs> citrus stuck around, right? What
1: do you mean? What did you replace it with?
2: Uh, I think I- I, I, I don't remember. <laughs> no, citrus
1: stuck. Yeah. It, uh, you replaced cactus I with- got uh, cactus something. in there. These C's were formative for you. <laughs> yeah. So here's
2: something, here's something else. The saguaro cactus that everybody associates with the desert yep. only grows in Arizona. Yeah. I get really mad when I see it on maps in Texas. Texas doesn't get a swirl cactus. Yeah. Arizona gets swirl cactus. Yeah.
1: Do not. Hey, map makers
0: out get
2: there, your, get your get geography your geography right. Shit like together, It's it
0: just like magically stops growing at the border. Like all the ones that are
1: there on the borderline, like kind of curve over to the other side. It like, just that's
2: uh, it just doesn't grow outside that's of the
1: Department of the Interior's Border Control is yeah. making sure the cactus doesn't cross this magical line. Yeah. Well, that's get, what
0: the superstitions for.
2: Yes. Yeah. Anyway, we can move on. We can move on from Arizona. No, this is fun. (laughs) So so the reason I love Arizona is my grandparents had a cabin up in kind of north central Arizona up in high altitude forests. And that's where I spent a lot of my summers. And I did research this. You can, uh, going back to the will, Arizona doesn't have very strict laws around where you bury bury people. So I could technically put it in my will and make sure there's provisions for this. My wife wants to cremate me. And she's like, I'm not,
3: I'm not going to burn you you up.
2: (laughs) I know. So if I don't, if I don't, if I don't get this put in my will very clearly, I'm not going to get what I want. Um, but (laughs) I want to be buried on my, on the cabin that my parent, my grandparents on the cabin in the, in the, in the, the the
1: (laughs) oh my God, you want to be a spooky ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: Totally man.
1: What's this bench? Oh, it's a casket. Okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah. Find your seat.
2: I love Arizona. It's a great state. <laughs> That's so. old
1: Matt from back in the day.
2: Oh my gosh. He
1: taught us the five C's. This started
2: off on a really weird foot.
1: <laughs> I love it. Cool. How long did you stay in Arizona?
2: I lived there the first 18 years of my life. Okay.
1: And so. then then you escaped what you now, uh, yes. now soundly live in Missouri. love, you, but you left, right? Yeah. Missouri's great. Why'd you leave?
2: Um, I left for college. So growing up, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, Um And like most people who are 18, um, so I kind of saw I could either stick around, go to community college live with my parents. And, you know, that's, that's one way to try to become an adult. The dream. That's the dream. For a lot of people, it's reality. Yeah. Um, or I could, I could move somewhere else and kind of learn how to be independent and that sort of stuff. And so I got a scholarship for a college out in Missouri and I, they gave me a free semester and then I paid for like the next like 11 so it was, it was an okay deal. It was deal. A, deal. It's a pretty great deal. It was a deal. It worked. It worked. The, the, the marketing tactic worked. Yeah. Um, so, but I did that for four years and then graduated. That was 2007. And I, I would have liked to have gotten out of Missouri. I'm, I'm new to this town saying I, I don't want to be there longer than 10 years. Um. It's been 13 now. Um. But when I graduated, it was kind of the height of the housing bubble. So it was really expensive to live anywhere else mm-hmm. in this town, specifically Joplin. It's, it's incredibly cheap. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a low cost of living. So it was easy for me to just kind of get on my feet and sort of become a, a responsible human being at that point. Uh-huh. So that's what I did. Bought you, a became, house.
1: you became a responsible human.
2: Uh, that's probably up for debate still uh-huh. at this point. Uh-huh. But, um, I mean, I pay my bills, Okay. Good start. Does Good start. Count? Yeah. Uh, Let
0: me uh, note this down. Mm-hmm. Brian only pays his favorite ones. Yeah. Okay. He well. thinks it's like a high score thing, like the bad ones, like lowers. Yeah. You, you don't you want do to you you do, pay for the bad ones.
1: Yeah. That'll look bad, man.
2: Yeah. It will.
0: He's playing high stakes credit
1: score.
2: Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, let's not even joke about that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that
2: well. isn't very funny to some people. So, uh, but yeah, I, you know, it's one of these things where I, I didn't intentionally mean to stick around that long, but. I made a lot of friends and found good community there and yeah. um, it was really easy to get on my feet and, you know, the opportunities at the time were, were there and so I was able to do it. And you eventually put down roots unknowingly and then it becomes hard to leave. So that's so where I'm at at this point.
1: Somewhere between now and when you're 18 years old leaving Arizona, yes, you figured out what you wanted to do. Yes. When did that happen?
2: So I went, actually, so the college I went to was a Bible college. I, I was originally planning to be a pastor. Um, so I grew up going to church. It was, a, it was a really positive experience for me. And I didn't know what to do. But what I thought was, well, I enjoyed doing a youth group. I could do that for the rest of my life. Hanging out with people, going on trips, you know, that sort of stuff. Sounds
1: pretty nice. It's, yeah, sounds yeah. like
2: a lot of fun. And then I, I get into college <laughs> I and I realize, want to go on
1: trips for the rest of my life. Dude, Sign we went to California
2: up. like several times a year. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, so I get into college and I realize, oh, this actually isn't what I want to do. I don't have any kind of like marketable skills anymore.
1: (laughs) All right. So you realized it wasn't...
2: Yeah. So I realized in college, it it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I kind of accidentally stumbled into design. I worked at a music venue uh, through college actually, and music venues need flyers. And so this is how I got into Uh design.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know this story. Uh Uh, So
2: my roommate had um, a version of Photoshop that... I use it on my computer. The story, a, a the totally kosher snapping. wink wink story uh-huh. of. Look, Photoshop. Adobe gets their money from me now. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> you okay? know
1: they're down the street. That's fine. Adobe police. I
2: send them a check every month. Wee, wee,
1: Not the Bring first time it. we've made that joke. <laughs> yeah, I
2: know. I know. So, uh, got a got version of Photoshop and just started doing flyers for the, for yeah. the venue. Um, Self taught? 100%. So, and that was really, that was when I really first discovered graphic design. I was uh, what, what sophomore did, in college.
0: What blogs did you use? What were the things that like made you excited about it? Oh man. Because everyone has like the PSD tuts, the...
2: This was before any of that existed. So this Abduzito. Been like 2004. Yeah. Um, there was a particular designer. I can't remember his name. He's in South America, but he made some amazing fonts that I used like crazy on our flyers. Danny Jones... Mm-hmm. Yasly, yep. That dude is still lit, but even back in like 2004, was just doing amazing, cutting edge stuff. Um, and so I, I did everything I could to basically just mock what he was doing. Like I studied his work like crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the avant garde font was really hot back then, where you, you you tie in the letters and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, you know, trying to pull all that. But working at the music venue was a lot of fun because we would have every kind of genre of music. And those all kind of lend themselves to different aesthetics. So it taught me a lot about kind of catering an aesthetic to an audience. Um, And so like the first two years as a graphic designer, I only designed black and white It all was just photocopy, you know, four up or 11 by 17 flyers Mm. and that sort of stuff. So, and when we got color, I didn't know what to do with myself. I I didn't know how to like design in color.
1: (laughs) What are these things? Yeah.
2: (laughs) it's like shades of gray is is where I feel the most comfortable at this point. Yeah. Black and white. And it's like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to make color work, you know? So that's kind of how I got into design. It sort of, yeah, it was unintentional and I, I I loved it. It's like, I spent so many nights, Friday nights, Saturday nights, you know, people going out doing stuff in college. I was just sitting in my dorm room, like scouring the internet for, for like halfway decent free fonts and Photoshop brushes
1: Why do you think that is like, what, what, what was so important about it that, I mean, maybe it was just fun, more fun than going out, but this is quite common, right? Like people, they forego something for this.
2: It's a passion. Yeah. It's a passion, right? It's something that you're, you know, I think of passion as something you're willing to suffer for. Right. And for me, it was just a passion. It was something that like, it was a creative outlet and I had a knack for it. Um, and it's just what I enjoy doing. Yeah. You know, um, you know, you also have to think that like I was going to, I was essentially going to a very specific type of like trade school in a way. They they teach people how to, you know, they train you how to be a pastor at this school. I was really no longer on that trajectory. And so for me, it's like design was kind of where I was focusing and investing, um, you know, my time and energy, not knowing that that was eventually going to be what I did for a living.
1: So did you finish school?
2: Yeah, I did. Graduated four years, got out, didn't find a job anywhere. At churches.
1: It seems like you straddled that path for a little while.
2: Yeah, I did. I mean, you know, when you're 22 years old, I don't know that you really actually know what you want to do with your life still. At least I didn't. And yeah,
0: Brian, you're still 22. What do you,
2: yeah. do you know? Yeah. Have you figured it out? I I've, mean, I'm I'm 32 now. I figured now. it out, but I'm going to
1: save it for myself. Uh It's really personal, you know? That's fine. Yeah.
2: I can respect that. <clears throat> uh I mean, I'm 32 now, and I still don't feel like I totally know what I want to do with my sure, life. Sure, It changes every once in a while, but... Um
1: be buried in Arizona.
2: I know that. I
1: know <laughs> I don't know I, if
3: that counts as something you want to do in your life.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's his ultimate goal. <laughs> Technically. <laughs>
2: that's the culmination of being nutrients
1: in Arizona.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: They're going to drape the coffin with the Arizona state flag. Yeah. Lower it down. They're going to plant a cactus on top of me. Call it good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> call it a day.
2: That's it. That's my life, guys, right there. We're done, right?
0: Yeah, I think that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having we me. We covered on. everything.
2: So anyway, getting back to
1: it. <laughs> so you didn't have a job.
2: Couldn't find a job. And you didn't know what
1: you wanted to do.
2: I knew, well, I didn't I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I could make money designing. And so, you know, here I am kicked out of the dorms because I don't go to school there anymore and I've got to pay rent and all that sort of stuff. So I eventually found a job with a nonprofit in town doing design work for them part-time and then I freelanced the rest of the time.
1: Graphic design.
2: Yeah, doing graphic design. And it was very unglamorous, uh, but they gave me a lot of freedom. And again, I kind of just, you know, got to learn, learn the tricks of the trade and learn some new software. And
1: what do you mean by unglamorous? Like, what does that mean for you?
2: I was making like slide decks and okay. a lot of print stuff. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like what I would consider to be a lot. Of, it was a lot of production work. Yeah. You know, so there was like a, a startup. Yeah. So like- in a lot of ways it is. I mean, it was, but there was another designer at this organization. And so they kind of led and I just sort of supported them. Mm. And I wanted to, I mean, obviously I wanted to do more than that, you know, beyond taking somebody else's vision and of course. executing it. I want to be able to do that myself. Mm-hmm. But
1: how important do you think it was to have to do the unglamorous stuff before like earning your stripes kind of thing? Yeah. Is that um, important?
2: I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that I could say it's essential. I mean, obviously it's a path that I took and it worked out, but even before I had this job, I was doing design work. I mean, I walked in with a portfolio. Of work, you know, a pretty substantial portfolio of work. I mean, you talk about a
1: lot of black and white,
2: <laughs> which is weird because, like, I remember growing up, I would collect flyers from shows. Like, I would see them, at, you know, at the venues in in Phoenix. Of like, this is really awesome, and then that eventually turned into me making those. I mean, I had a little tin of flyers that I took with me everywhere. Yeah, whenever I moved. Yeah, like mementos of artwork that I liked. Yeah. you know. So yeah, I mean, it was you know. I did my time, but I only worked there about six months. And then it's one of those sort of things where it's like, you kind of realize I, I can do this on my own too. Why am I here? Yeah. You know? So I left and then they hired me back as a freelancer and they paid me like eight times more than they paid me before. What? It was awesome.
1: That's a great deal.
2: Yeah. It was, it was a killer deal. Smart move. Holy shit. So, yeah. and I did that on and off for a couple of years, freelanced and- there's a lot of realizations throughout that process. Like people will pay you a lot more money for a website than they will like print material. Uh-huh. So that was another like strategic move where I realized, oh, it'd be a lot better for me to learn how to do web design than do brochures or logos. Yeah. You know, in the town I was in, they would, they'd want to pay you like 500 bucks for a logo, but you know, and they'd haggle you over that, which you just sort of like, okay. And then they, they'd like, they wouldn't bat an eye at paying $5,000 for a website, even though those could technically take this exact same amount of time. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so it's one of these sort of things. The just output
1: like, looks so much more substantial. It
2: does. It does. And so I was like, I'm going to do web because there's just a lot more money in it, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and that paid off. So
1: did you feel like you had to restart when you made that transition?
2: A little bit. I had, I had some good mentors, um, going into it. Some, in, in the town you were living in or yeah, online? Yeah. So there was one guy who kind of showed me the ropes, um, of web design going into it. And, um, so I kind of had a decent foundation, but a lot of it was also just—I mean, this was right. I was starting to do web design right after table table layouts kind of became obsolete, and people were going to floats. And so there was a little bit of me having to try to figure out, like, all right, how does a float work? And no lot, one knows. Still, no now one knows.
1: <laughs> now we've moved on. Now huh? it's uh, flexbox, right? Which I, is I still can't explain that. Oh, it's glorious.
2: I I know how to use it, but I can't explain it.
1: Yeah, that's a very fair statement. Well, it's, I think it's most Fox people wouldn't
2: flex. <laughs> yeah, don't you get it? <laughs> sure, sure.
1: I know I'm a genius.
0: It's <laughs> it's
2: magic. <laughs> but I would just study people's code on their website. You know, I mean that's essentially how I taught myself web design. Like officially, was just finding somebody's site that I liked. Keegan Jones was one of those dudes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just inspect and source and copy and paste until I figured it out. Yeah. You know. So he was. I don't know what he was doing at that point, but I think it was after he'd hacked MySpace and got kicked out. But him and Ryan Sims, a couple folks had agent, had roots in the area that I lived in at the time and just sort of studied those guys.
1: I uh, I don't know if I've told the story here. I, I made a website, or I, I got the domain um, webdesigntuts.com back in the heyday of psdtuts.com. That was smart. And uh, they had, what are all the other tuts? Like photo tuts like they had anyways before they before they switched to the tuts Tuts. plus and like they still had the full url anyways so i i I nabbed web design tuts made it into a blog started getting traffic and one of the first posts i wrote was how to recreate the psdtuts.com website in photoshop so i recreated it pixel for pixel and like walked people through the decisions and just like how to do like Modes and things like that.
2: I think I might have read that blog post.
1: No fucking way. Because well, maybe it got they they promptly sent me an email and said, "Hey, man, uh, please don't do that. Could you be like like five percent more chill? (laughs) Could you be more chill? Please
2: don't give away our intellectual property for free. Please.
1: Well, it wasn't. I mean, it's like anything. Like just recreating what's already been built. Yeah. The point being like that process for me was so helpful because what you are forced to do is measure things, consider type sizes, consider line heights, consider colors and borders in a way that you might not, it might not be top of mind if you're just starting from scratch and you're relatively green, right?
2: Yeah. It gives you a much more intimate understanding of whatever it is you're trying to do. My
1: problem was I published that yeah instead of keeping it to that's the caveat
2: if you yeah. copy somebody just keep it to yourself
1: and i have i've learned my lesson
0: yeah. i think that's something that people do a lot on dribble and stuff too right like they make the mistake of just releasing something that's yeah. obviously you like you can see the source material right yeah Um. Yeah. oftentimes it's also on dribble
1: I, I think i subscribe to the idea that the best response to that is a friendly response please like looking back at the fact that I did that and I was just an ignorant high schooler, yeah, like not knowing what the fuck I was doing. And I didn't really understand but you, this concept of like creative ownership or uh, like, f- well, you know, I think there's, some, tough,
0: man. I think there's something stuff. interesting there. Like, I think you were probably not in the wrong necessarily. Like it, it was like not the chillest of things, Yeah, but the fact that you were like, this is the PSD touch website. Like, This is their design. This is how you recreate it. Whereas a lot of people
1: are just like, here's this thing I did as
0: practice and like, no credit. Yeah, you you got
1: away intent. The the, the thing that stuck out to me is just remembering if I see stuff like that and see people's reactions to, you know, quote unquote copying is there's very likely someone on the other side of that that just has no idea what the fuck they're doing. And they're just trying to learn.
2: Yeah, totally.
1: They need to be taught a not taught a lesson in a sinister way but like explained in a nice like encouraging way like hey it's cool you're doing this kind of they thing you need
0: to be lessened real hard <laughs> I've know, never
2: seen I for me I haven't had a ton of work ripped off before yeah and
0: what does that say yeah, <laughs> yeah <what? laughs> it says I may not I'm do totally. a lot of
2: work <laughs> so it's totally worth kidding. being ripped off I've had a couple identities ripped off uh-huh. um,
0: wait like identity theft
2: no 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 like, like <laughs>
0: <Not> <laughs> my credit card stolen.
2: <laughs> thankfully not no, but like logos and stuff. Yeah, that, and yeah. it's it's so hard to what like. What did you do? I just let it slide, honestly. It's not, in my opinion, it's not worth the hassle. I mean, I, I had a shirt up on Cotton Bureau that got ripped off. I mean, blatantly, you know. Wait,
0: the one just now? Yeah. Really?
2: Yeah. It, it was up on Society6. Um, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, that, that sort of
1: Immediately. stuff.
2: And not to throw them under the bus. They're but,
1: nefarious for that.
2: Yeah, that they do bullshit. not do a good job of policing. and Oh, they don't care. Well, and that's basically, I mean, I contacted them and their legal team was like, yeah, you have to do like this six step process and send us a letter. And then- God,
1: that's such horseshit.
2: <laughs> we need a DNA sample proving that you made this. Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, forget it. Like, if this guy wants to steal my shirt, that's fine. You know? And that, that's one of those things where it's like, you kind of just have to weigh whether or not it's worth it. And to me, it just wasn't. And it does sort of, I mean, it makes you mad a little bit, but- at the same time, it's like it also validates your idea.
0: I mean, but it's also
1: you made it for a good cause.
2: Well, the, right? are you talking about the shirt?
0: Yeah, yeah, the shirt. Yeah.
1: Uh, for people that don't know, can we get a yeah? Let's primer. That's yeah, where it's going. So, we're um, gonna jump. We're gonna pause. Pause your, your story and come to the present, real quick. Time
0: warp.
2: All right, great. So a couple weeks ago, we got a new president, and uh hang on, what we allowed to talk about this? <laughs> Shit, what does he listen yeah. to this podcast? You think?
0: We do have two D's in this. Okay. He's he's into easy D's.
2: Yeah, I know. All right. Well we'll see what happens. Uh I'll look for the for the tweet. Anyway.
0: Uh It'll come at three A.M.
2: So obviously there's there's some contention around some photos that came about from the inauguration and some government agencies got censored or whatever. The and,
0: National Park Service being one. Yeah,
2: National Park Service being one of those. And I just kind of not happy about that. I mean, that whole week, I think for majority of the country was just sort of like, like a, like a, a existential crisis on like a, like a national level.
0: I mean, that whole week, this whole week,
2: basically <laughs> who's counting. Yeah. It's just, it's just one big, long blur. So I was really frustrated and I needed an outlet and uh, I saw all these Twitter accounts popping up from all these rogue national park service people. And mm-hmm. I was like, yes, this is freaking amazing. And originally it was a lot of the park rangers doing it. It wasn't like the activists now, like the, you know, the, not the citizens. It was actually the people in the agencies. And it was, it was like some of the best Twitter content I'd ever come across. Like the level of snark was perfect. It was like, <laughs> I mean, it's like, I mean. Snarky park. Get these guys out of the park system and get them on somebody's social media team. Cause like this stuff is going to fly. So, uh, so one of the guys talked about rogue rangers and I was like, oh dude. So I had this idea. And it was um, a certain uh, animal. He ripped off Smokey the Bear. Don't say that. <laughs> yeah. He's protected by the National Forests. They actually the
1: own original, Smokey. Do you think the original Smokey the Bear designer saw your shirt and was like, this motherfucker. This motherfucker. And he reached, not, and he he reached may, out to Cotton Bureau. And Cotton Bureau's legal team said, they, well, you have to fill out the six-step process. Here's the This thing. asshole <laughs> ripped me off and put me on Society Six. So I did
2: this, I, I did this design on like Tuesday. So like the inauguration was on Friday, I didn't like Tuesday. I tweeted it out. Jay Finelli's like T-shirt, and I'm like, yeah, I'm working on it. We launched it that following Friday, and basically, it's Smokey the Bear. He's angry looking, and instead of his hat saying,
0: "It's Smokey's brother Foggy the Bear."
2: <laughs> yeah, it's um, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's an angry version of a bear.
0: Steamy the Bear. That says, "Oh, Steamy, because angry." Uh, yeah, that that's says great. resist.
2: Yes. Says resist on it. Um, and I'm thinking, and I was like, I'm gonna, you know. Our current administration is going to shut down the park system, and basically, that you know, a lot of our congressmen are trying to screw the the federal lands. And I was like, no, that's not cool. I I grew up in Arizona. I love the outdoors. I love national forests. I believe in that sort of stuff. So I threw this shirt up and I said, I'm going to split the profits between. Originally, it was just going to go to national parks. Everybody's like, but Smokey's the Forest Service. I was like, fine, I'll split it between. National parks, the national forest, everybody happy now. I was thinking I'd sell like 50, hundred shirts.
0: I was blown away yeah. by how well it did. <laughs> I, I mean, thing. I bought a few, but yeah, yeah. I
2: bought a couple as well. By the end of day one, it was like 2,000 shirts, something like that. It was nuts. Within, a, within the span of a weekend, we'd hit 5,000. And like, I mean, I like- I was f- like I would just sort of like kind of break out giggling every once in a while, just like <laughs> I could not believe yeah. what had happened
0: as of this recording, it's ten thousand
2: almost we're like eighty five hundred and it's gonna wrap up the the day after we record this okay um but there's there's some other caveats within that. I was able to kind of get a halo effect off Rogue NASA. They
3: mm-hmm. did a
2: shirt as well, and they way outpaced me, but basically, everybody bought a rogue NASA shirt, bought one of mine, mm-hmm. you know, and so it just kind of turned to this crazy overnight success. And it, I mean, it blew up on Twitter too, which yeah. was really cool. Um, I had some folks from a, a, a nonprofit associated with a government agency actually reach out to me and like, we love it. And I was like, can you endorse it? And they're like, we cannot
1: <laughs> surprise, uh,
2: because you know, we kind of are in, you know, we kind of depend yeah, on yeah. some of these things. I was like, cool. They're like, well, we've bought a shirt for everybody in the in the, in the organization. <laughs> like, That's awesome. Thank you. So at the end of this, I'm going to write two fat checks to the national parks and the national forest foundations, and I'm going to add philanthropist to my LinkedIn profile.
3: <laughs>
1: yes, I'm going to endorse you.
2: I would. I would very much love that.
1: Endorse you for philanthropist. <laughs> so,
2: it, yeah. Philanthropy. <laughs> Phila- I'm a philanthropist. That sounds really right. I'm, a, de- I'm a defender of federal lands.
1: Philanthropist. <laughs> That's what exactly
2: what I was. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool. Um, <laughs> Thank
1: you. Yes, yes. Brian gets a pun. Boom. Brian gets a
2: pun. <laughs> so, gotta work some more of those in. So that's what happened. It was it was really cool. Um, I've never really had like an overnight kind of like yeah um, viral. viral success. Yeah. It really truly was viral. Did like, it change
1: your life? Are you a new man? I'm I'm po- I'm poking fun. But... I'm over it at this point. Yeah, to yeah. be honest with you. Mm.
2: Uh, and actually there was so like I had it like uh, maybe the second night after it went live, I realized. Oh no, Smokey the Bear is actually the property of the National Forest and the Ad Ad Council. Like it's a copyrighted protected thing and you can't use it without their permission. And so I started Googling.
1: How
0: much am I going to get sued for? Yes. Well, there's, there's parody rights, I think. Which So
2: there's actually been two lawsuits that the National Forest Foundation has put against people who've used Smokey in this, in this term.
0: Well, this is steamy. Steamy debate.
2: <laughs> it's out, guys. I ripped off smokey. I can't hide that anymore.
0: Um, this is well, it's it's really a different shade.
2: So Jay Fidelli actually Googled this too, because I think he was freaking out as well. I'd imagine
0: Jay would be the one freaking out. We were
2: both just like, uh, what the crap did we just do, right? And so we Googled this out and there there have been lawsuits, and the premise that it was this one of them I I don't know if one went to the Supreme Supreme Court, but they went fairly high in, in the court system. Political speech is protected under First Amendment rights. And so there is obviously parody. You can get around copyrights with parody and political speech is a part of that. Okay. So there was one back in the day where some folks were upset about some logging that was going on in the National Forest. They did Smokey with the chainsaw and that's not a sanctioned use of Smokey. And that was back in like the 60s maybe. There was one more recent um, in the 90s of a guy up in the Northeast who basically used Smokey to like make a political statement about, um, weed, about fracking.
0: Oh, damn. Not
2: Shit. weed. <laughs> I'm sure that exists. But yeah. no. Um, and both of those were, they basically lost both of them saying it's covered in political speech. It's first amendment. They can't do anything. So that helped me sleep a little bit better at night. Um, I'm sure I still could get a cease and desist. Just uh, run away
0: and hide in Arizona. No one will find you. I could
2: hide in a forest. There's several national forests there. Yes. But I mean, we'll see what happens. Um, I kind of think it would be a PR nightmare because essentially I'm, I'm going to be donating tens of thousands of dollars to their nonprofits at this point, so, which is kind of just a surreal thing to That's think about. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly amazing. I don't know the total number. I don't know if I should even say this on air. It's okay. Over $50,000.
3: Damn.
2: It's nuts. And the Rogue NASA exciting. one's over 100000 for what they're donating. Which, How about those two? Yeah,
0: and there were some uh, Planned Parenthood ones. Oh yeah, and, some, of, like,
3: and
2: that was and that was what was so cool and so encouraging. Um, in response to this, you know, and I know some people didn't like this. They kind of felt like it was maybe taking advantage of the circumstances. And
1: I was, mean, it's for but charity. the circumstances existed, right? Like,
2: yeah, it is. It, they did exist, and honestly, I didn't do this to try to sell a shirt. Like I did it as an outlet, and some people said slap it on a shirt, so I did. And, you know, we've, and a lot of other people like that and, you know, I yeah. know it made a lot of people laugh and happy and, you know, I brought a little bit of joy into a dark circumstance in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, I think, expose an emotion that people were feeling in a tangible way.
0: And you put a sweatshirt on my body.
2: Put a sweatshirt on Brynn. Soon. So, yeah. Soon. it'll It'll probably come Eventually. in
0: March. I'm saving rooms for it.
2: I felt bad Brin's for Cotton Beer, though. Bryn's not even
0: wearing a shirt right now. He's that eager.
2: I mean, they've probably got, like, over 30,000 shirts that they have to process.
0: My chest just says, resist goes here.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. He tattooed it. Some... That was a huge mistake, Bryn. <laughs>
2: it's committed, man. Committed. committed to the resistance. So, yeah. Anyway, that's the story of the of the, uh, the alt bear.
1: You're basically Rogue One. I mean.
0: A little bit, Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Not to, get to it not to
1: get to your head, but you are a little bit like Rogue One, yeah, yeah, uh, in the sense of the first step towards defeating the Empire.
2: Yes, yes, is clothing them with the appropriate attire. Hmm. <laughs> so we got to
1: look cool while we do it.
2: Yeah, look, if we're gonna protest, we might as well do it while if, being if fashionable. If the
0: Empire had angry tweets instead of force lightning, ah, it's really a difference here.
2: Which I mean, there's just been some amazing parody tweets that have come out are uh, we, we yeah. going to go whole hog into politics every I mean, I, I,
0: I've been thoroughly Tr- enjoying Trump
2: it Trump draws is so good
0: it is exceptional
2: there's one that popped up today that I saw that's uh, Spicer Googles things yes that's great <laughs> Spicer that Googling one, or something yeah whatever yeah. it is it's so amazing good. it's yes. so amazing and, and like yeah I, you know
0: there's been some really great stuff. Yeah,
2: there's some funny stuff. Twitter's definitely been a source of humor and frustration and Which, existential crisis. Yeah,
0: there's there's a lot of angst. There's a lot of like I had to unfollow holy shit, what is happening in the world. Yeah. Yeah. But then there's also been some really good things that come out of it. There's been a lot of awesome like activity, like or activism, I guess is the right word. Yeah. That came out of it. A lot of people I wouldn't normally expect to be involved in that kind of thing have have just taken upon themselves to to do something. make things. Um, a lot of people who are involved with us, um, our accountant, Andrew is offering like free accounting services to anyone who does yep. stuff for like charity or for mm-hmm. activist organizations. It's super cool.
2: Yeah. Which is interesting. That kind of goes full circle to talk about stuff getting stolen because when you get into, I've noticed it's when you get into activism and, in, in protest and that sort of stuff, typically, I mean, I mean, we're just talking, these are armchair artists, so they're just gonna, you know, they're just gonna mm-hmm. take and steal whatever they want at that point, which, you know, it's, again, it's one of those things where it's like, all right, we're kind of, for the most part, we may be on the, all on the same side here, if there's sides, I, mm-hmm. I don't actually think there's sides, but um, it's one of those things where it's like, it's just kind of how it goes, I think, when you get into that arena, you know, there's not a lot of rules there anymore, so you just kind of, it's just sort of par for the course. I I tried to lock down the the shirt. Uh, by not letting it be outside of Cotton Bureau too much, and because people wanted stickers, they wanted T-shirts, they wanted or uh, mm-hmm. they lapel, you know the enamel pins, they want signs, they want everything. And for me, it's like I'm just you know I'm doing it here. That's it. And he's he's gonna go back into hibernation probably. Mm-hmm. So
0: that was that was really nice.
2: Yeah, Poor steamy. Wear the bear.
0: Wow. Hashtag wear the bear. Hashtag
2: wear the bear. Oh,
1: for God's Wear sake. and bear are both all caps. I'm putting it to rest, but there's a hashtag if you want to spread this shit. Rogue Rangers.
2: <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway.
1: Where were we?
2: I don't know. We can get back on, a, on the topic here because that was one heck of a tangent.
1: Hashtag bear chested. Okay. I yeah. loved this tangent, by the way. We went from you learning web design <laughs> and learning from Keegan Jones and Ryan Sims to stealing art to... Art as activism. Yes. We went from don't copy things to copy
0: things if you're going to protest I'm basically from from Robin Hood. The national
1: government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Robin Hood. It,
2: yes. I'm <laughs> <laughs> the, on the ro- Robin Hood of the resistance. Wow. In regards wow.
1: To, Robin Hood was a resistance.
2: Dude. And you in regards also to caricatures.
1: are incredibly modest, which I like about you.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say that? That
1: was sarcasm.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Moving let's, on.
1: Moving on. You're in Missouri. I'm in Missouri. <laughs> you're, learning, you're learning from other designers.
2: Technically right now, I'm not in Missouri, but going back- Well, yeah, you're time in studio here in San Francisco. Yes, I am very much so. Oh,
0: for God. But generally speaking- Yeah,
2: you I'm were, in Missouri. You were in Missouri. Had some mentors, some um, in-person and um, stalking the mentors, meaning that I just stalked them. They had no clue. Keegan being one of them. Um,
1: have you met Keegan? Yeah,
2: I did actually. He uh, did you tell
1: him you stalked him? <laughs> I think I, I
2: did tell. Ta- I didn't. I haven't... Yeah, I told him. Keegan, I don't think I framed it up like that when we when we got coffee that one time, but you know, have a little grace for me, man. <laughs> you and
0: know, I have been going back hey, and man. forth on DMs, trying to make things happen for so long, and yeah.
2: Just... Yeah. Keegan, you got to come on the show, dude. Keegan, stop traveling so much. I yeah, just want to go hang yeah. out. He's Keegan is an amazing individual, incredibly kind hearted. Um, you know, just a solid guy all around. So I don't think he would have mind that I, I I stole code from him. <gasps> I didn't do it publicly. <gasps> I just you know I copied it and learned all that sort of stuff. But
0: you changed two letters and called it. A I day. told him
2: that I basically I think I did tell him at one point that I I learned HTML and CSS by studying his work. You yeah.
1: steamed the beard him. So <laughs> yes, before you knew what steamy was.
2: Yes. So anyway, doing that, freelance for a while, um, and that was awesome. I loved it. Um, I've freelance for me is something that just came really naturally kind of having to wear all the different hats and, you know, deal with clients and all that sort of stuff. I really enjoyed that. Um, I don't know that I was ever, uh, incredibly successful. I only did it for about two years. Um, it was the first two years of my career essentially, but you know, I enjoyed it and I knew I could do it, yeah. you know, and it taught me a lot of good things.
1: Uh, there's a certain, like, <laughs> a lot of admiration I have for people that can pull off freelancing, especially for two years. Like that's coming from a full time thing. As it's, shit. I'm like terrified by how hard that would be. And to pull it off says a lot.
2: It was made easier by the fact that my living expenses were incredibly low.
1: Uh, even so. And you could get all your so. from Keegan. So it was a yeah, good yeah. deal. Oh, <laughs> exactly. okay, actually. Yeah. You know, what? I'm changing my opinion of you, uh, as we speak. <laughs> that's fine.
2: That's fine. It's fluid. I get it. Uh, I mean, honestly, guys, my first year I only made 20 grand, yeah. you know? And I mean, I know there's people that make that in a week in, in this, in, in San Francisco, you know? Um, <sighs>
1: Holy shit.
2: Designing, maybe too.: like I ho-
1: would hope not. Yeah. <laughs> that would be insane. But per- anyways.
2: Yeah. Um, my second year, I think I only grew it to like 26,000. Here's the thing. I was incredibly stupid and I did not understand how taxes worked. So I never paid taxes my first year. And so March swings around, April swings around. I sit down with my accountant. He's like, you owe $7,000 in taxes. And I'm going, well, I don't have $7,000 to pay in taxes. He's like, okay, it's not a big deal. You can pay late. I was like, okay, great. How
1: late? <laughs> when I'm dead, please?
0: Well, you can file an extension until October.
2: You could file, well, but when you're due taxes, you can't file an extension. You could, ah. but they're due still. I mean, it's essentially back, back payout for that year. Hmm. So since I did not pay in quarterly, I needed to pay in at that time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It was about six or seven thousand bucks. I mean, not an exorbitant amount of money, but uh definitely more than I had on my savings at the time, which was like nothing. Mm-hmm. So that next year was just hustling to pay my taxes. And I managed to uh. do that, I think, by July. So just a couple months, just living on like I mean, dirt, just bare bones, dirt cheap everything. Paid it off, figured out my taxes but I kind of sabotaged myself because any any like extra money I would have made that year, I just had to use to pay taxes. So I walked out of the end of that year without without really anything, just kind of back at, at square one.
1: You know, you say passion something that you're willing to suffer for.
3: I suffered a lot.
2: At some point regard.
1: during that, were you saying, is this worth it?
2: It was absolutely worth it.
1: What were you telling yourself at the time when you're living on dirt and you come away after years of work or a year's worth of work?
2: I mean, I was free, dude. Like, I mean, that's the thing about freelance is like, I mean you don't get it's to work whenever name. you want. You've gotta be a professional. You gotta show up and you gotta get your job done. But like if I wanted to go play disc golf one day, one afternoon, I could go do that. You know, if I wanted to, you know, grab take a two hour lunch one day, hang out with some buds, I could do that. I can't do that now. I mean I've got a I've got a job, I've got responsibilities to a company, you know. Uh, but back then I mean it's like you just kinda you live live with the wind, do what you want, nice day out, take the day off and go spend it outside. So that's freelance to me. I mean, that's that's why you do that, in my opinion.
1: It sounds really nice.
2: <laughs> it's very stressful too. <laughs> that's yeah, it the is.
1: Thing is, that's the that's the. It has this beautiful fantasy like veneer to it. Did right? you like, freelance, Brian? Uh, I have done freelance yeah. work. Yes, it's, but man, I never. It's rough. I it's wouldn't hard. say I've done. It's full hard. Work. You've... Uh, but that's the thing is like that freedom is so. So tempting.
2: Oh man, it is it is um intoxicating and it's it's addictive. Um you know, and it's one of these things too where freelance is hard. You you know, you never know where your next job's coming from. Um, you know, you never know if somebody's gonna pay on time. Um, I mean, it's it's not easy by any means, but if you're smart and you're responsible and you're disciplined, you can make it work. Um, and you have to be very, in my opinion, you have to be very, um, perceptive and self-aware of just how you treat people and the work that you do. I very much believe that like, I was very protective of my reputation because I felt like that was the biggest, um, that was like the biggest asset that I had. If I can maintain a good reputation with clients, that would pay off.
1: What, what does that mean for you? Is that just communication style or like, how are you protective of that?
2: Um, making sure I, you know, I meet their needs, I kind of, you know, the,
1: like professional reputation, like,
2: yeah, professional reputation. Like if you're going to work with this dude, he's going to get it done. Yeah. Um, under promise over deliver, Yeah. you know, so making sure I, if I got it done, I got it done early or, you know, whatever it was, um, good communication is a part of it. Yeah, definitely. But a lot of it's just in general, making sure that like at the end of it, the client feels like you didn't just do a good job, but you did a job that you both can be proud of, you know? Um, and that's a lot of it. And I very much believed, you know, I, I still believe to this day, like, you should get credit for your work. I hated it when companies didn't want to let me, you know, claim the work that I did when they wanted to pass it off as their own or something like that. That drove me nuts. Um, did you push back? Yeah. I mean, I did. Um,
0: did you negotiate that into rates or anything like
2: that? I was never that smart yet. Um I didn't. I didn't. I hadn't really figured out the business side of things. Mm-hmm. I just had a rate and went with it. I think now, if I were to go back into freelance, I'd be a little more shrewd in that regard. But back then, I was. I mean, I was just living with the wind, you know, blowing in and out of projects and playing disc golf, and <laughs> taking two-hour lunches whenever yeah. I wanted. They,
1: they called me Windy Matt.
2: Yeah, and Thin you did Matt. That? Thin, Thin Matt.
1: Matt. Thin-dy-mat. I You'd... do have a
2: very raspy voice, though.
1: Yeah. So. So you did that for two years.
2: Yeah, I did that about two years.
3: Then
2: what? Um. Well then, uh my wife and I decided we want to get married. huh And I knew that she probably would not enjoy the feast or famine of freelance.
1: Hey babe, you want to live on dirt? <laughs> yeah.
2: One month we're going to be super rich and the next month we're going to be super poor.
1: How does that sound? Will you marry me? You down?
2: <laughs> no, so I took a I I went in house. Um actually the guy the guy that showed me the ropes on web design, he had an agency. Um just a little two-person shop and I went in house with them and and worked um you know, worked in house for a couple of years doing really anything to pay the bills again. I mean, it really wasn't any different than what I was doing a freelance. We are focused in web and we would do branding work from time to time, but sure. primarily doing websites, a lot of marketing work for folks. So,
1: so let's zoom forward. Okay. You stayed there for two years,
2: uh, with the agency. Uh-huh. Yep. I probably, about that two two and a half years. And then that kind of broke down and I went back into freelancing. So there's two types of freelancing you do. There's the kind you choose and the kind that chooses you. <laughs> This kind chose me, um, and
0: the freest lance.
2: Yes, this one was not so free. This this round, I was married. I had a child. I had a lot more, a lot more, many more bills than I did uh, before. Uh-huh. I had a mortgage,
1: but you still had <laughs> just as much disc golf you wanted to play. I
2: wasn't playing disc golf anymore <laughs> at that point. I kind of moved on from that phase of my life.
1: Well, this sounds like shit, Lance, to me. Honestly,
2: it was very stressful and. Um I will probably never attempt to freelance again in my life. Yeah. After that I only did it for about 6 months. I hustled my butt off and tried to make as much money as I could in that time frame and uh, it was like October to February, maybe not even 6 months. And then I couldn't get any more work. Literally could not get work out past February. Everything dried up. What year is that? This was 2013.
1: So why do you think that was? I have
2: well, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of reasons, but I think it was because I needed to find a job.
1: Ah, uh, it was the universe talking to you.
2: Sure. And then out of nowhere, I actually had a couple people get in touch with me, say, Hey, we're looking to hire product designer or we're looking for a designer an agency, something like that. And that's what I ended up doing. So uh, a friend of mine, an acquaintance I had online, a guy named Jeremy Jantz. Um, we'd known each other through Twitter. We both did expression engine work, which was a CMS mm-hmm. that we both worked on. He hit me up. He was working at Treehouse at the time. I was like, hey, we're hiring. I had had my eye on Treehouse for quite a while, which I mean, they'll have been around for two years, so not that long, but I knew of the company. I knew what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I was self-taught. I knew that they believe very much in being self-taught. So he hit me up and he's like, you want to apply? And I was like, uh, yes, very much so. And I'd also known I wanted to get out of agency work. Agency work is a lot of fun because you get a lot of a variety and you get to, you know, get a lot of fast paced projects and all kinds of different clients, but Mm -hmm. it also stinks because you never get to do a second round of something. If you build a product for somebody, you build it and you never see it again. You build a website for somebody, you build it, you never, you never get to circle back on it. So it's sort of unfulfilling in that regard. So, and I also felt it just wasn't sustainable for me. Like I was designing, I was, I was coding, my hands were like getting carpal tunnel; It was like terrible.
1: Ah, uh, coder's hands, man. Dude, code <laughs> hands.
2: I was losing, like, I was losing fingers. I was losing uh, feeling in the end of my fingers, and I was like, I have to get to a more sustainable like career. For me, I felt like that was product design. I had zero experience. Trios took a chance on me. I'm so grateful for that. And I've been there almost four years now.
1: Why do you think they took a chance on you? Like, and well, what clearly what, it's what because I mean, they I'm could so see his code hands. hands. Yeah, yeah, they saw your hands. I don't know. Well, what I mean by that is. I felt like a company took a chance on me. Yeah. Buffer when I first got into this crazy world. And I I want to try and figure out like what what causes people to take a chance on people so that people who are listening that need that chance taken on them can perhaps swing the odds in their favor a little bit.
2: So I think there's two perspectives to this. I think there's the the negative perspective. Sometimes you just have to take a chance on somebody cuz you need to fill the role. Okay. In their slim pickings. Right, so they may have been trying to hire somebody for six months with no success. Where it's like, all right,
0: Slim Pickens, thin mat. Uh,
2: perfect. Uh, Can
1: we take pick Slim Pickens? Yeah. Oh, that's not a person. Shit. Thin so it's Matt. like,
2: all right, this is the this is the best of the worst yeah. at this point, right? So that's a really <laughs> negative perspective to take. on. That is very negative. I don't know if that's why they did it or not. There's no telling. <laughs> um, if it is, uh, even still, I'm 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 grateful. Yeah, <laughs> thank yeah, you, yeah. thank you that I was the best of the worst. But I think the other perspective of it is sometimes you just have to go. This guy's got this is going to sound super arrogant. This is, I'm not, I'm not describing myself right now, but this guy's hungry or, you know, this person's hungry. They've got drive, you know, they've, they've shown that they can sort of teach themselves and, you know, sort of pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they've shown themselves to be responsible in some regard. And they want to learn, you know, I think those are all admirable things. And so if you don't necessarily have maybe the chops that you need to get a job, but you've got those other things, I think mm-hmm. companies should take a chance on people in that regard.
0: That's Brian.
1: Uh, side projects, yeah. You you shipped a ton of stuff before you got that job. That's the reason, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, they told me later It's because no, I, like, it I had side projects. Yeah, that, and that, so that's what I want of, to. The point is like people that don't sit around waiting to be told like what to learn, right?
0: When when we yes. went to
1: Colorado and met your parents and learned all
0: the stuff you'd done before Buffer, we we're just like, what? What?
3: Yeah,
2: our nice boy the yeah yeah i mean that stuff can pay off man Absolutely. and i i always freelanced on the side when i was working at agencies and primarily that was just to offset whatever work i was doing i always tried to maintain that kind of broad skill set like i very much believe in being m- multidisciplinary you know mm-hmm. um that's paid off for me journalist kind yeah of. generalist always yeah. a generalist um i think there's i think there's more opportunity for generalists
0: yeah there, I mean, it's, just it's, it's a broader market, right? It like, just is. I think people you can hit on many levels.
2: Yes, exactly. And well, and you're adaptable. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you're a product designer who can also illustrate, you're automatically that much more attractive to a company because yeah. you know you need those in your. You know, now, you, now you don't have to hire mm-hmm. two roles, two people to fill the yeah. fill those roles. You if got you're, one.
0: If you're a product designer who can code, especially like startups, that's Bam. huge,
2: so huge. And that's actually criteria for us. We don't hire anybody at Trios that can't code.
0: One of the things anybody. was.
2: Well, on the design team. Yeah. They all have to be able to tackle their own front end. Yep. So, if I mean, that's, I that's not negotiable anymore.
0: If I hadn't been able to do HTML emails, if I hadn't been able yeah, to do yeah. basic CSS and HTML work, like, it just wouldn't have worked out at my first job out here. Like, there was no way it would have happened. And right. I learned from Treehouse, so yeah. I think that's, like, it's a nice coincidence, like, to actually get to know the people from Treehouse. Yeah. Um,
2: well, it's, it's nice to get to know the students, too, Oh, guys. I'm winking right now. You basically taught me. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. I did not teach you. I do no, not. Let's just, let's just get you. this out of the way. I do not teach a single course okay. at Treehouse. Did you draw the frog? No, I did not draw the frog. The only course that I think I have work in is one of our, our Git courses. I did the illustrations in uh, uh, kind of the art direction for all the motion. What do you even one. do there? What do I do there? Yeah, what do you even do there then?
0: Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm <on. laughs> totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, please
1: I illustrate just, a lot. I'm just jumping jump down your throat. Just, justify your paycheck to us. Uh, okay. You, you joined. What's as, your spiel? <laughs> yeah. You joined as a product designer. Was that your title?
2: Yes, that was uh, my title. And that's back when we were still very much in startup mode. So you're doing everything. So mm-hmm. I didn't technically do a lot of product design when I first joined. I did a lot of identity work, did a lot of branding work, did a lot of illustrations, did a lot Generalist. of. Generalist. Ba- did a lot of badges. That's awesome, yeah. For anybody that's on Treehouse, we illustrate every single one of those badges and there's so many of them. We started keeping track like yearly, how many we'd create in a year. It was hundreds.
1: How many have you made?
2: I don't know. A lot. More than I want to make. That many, yeah. It got to the point where I'd have nightmares about badges. Oh, fuck. So you burn out on them pretty quick. Uh Uh-huh. So advice to product people out there, don't-
1: (laughs) Ease up on the badges. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Don't design something that requires manual labor every time you want to ship something. Yeah. Every time I release a course, it's, you know, three to f- three to six badges. Yeah. And I mean, courses are everything at Treehouse. So like we try to release- <laughs> So we make a
1: lot of courses. A lot of
2: courses that need badges. Right. We just kind of shot ourselves in the foot with that one. So and everybody I, everybody has to take a turn doing badges. Sure. So, yeah. Uh,
1: so how did that evolve? You, you joined- uh, I joined Treehouse. How many designers were then you joined? I was the fifth. Fifth.
2: Yeah. Um, so there was about 50 people in the company joined in March of 2013, came on as a product designer. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to learn product. I'd never done product work really. I dabbled in it here and there in the agency world. And I was able to actually build a, sort of a simple online school for a company, like a very, very yeah. like alpha version of that. And I really enjoyed that. And it, I, I kind of got the taste of like, I made something and I see how it, it needs to be iterated on and improved, but they ran out of budget. So for me, the enticing part of product was it's sustainable. I get to work on one thing and iterate on that and grow that. Yep. And, you know, I'll be on a team, which is great. I was one of the only designers at the agency I was at before. So it was kind of a win-win in a lot of ways for me.
1: You know, I maybe Brent as well. I talked to a lot of people that, Come from a background that you have that want to do that. They want to move from Arizona. Agency world. Yeah, they want to move from Arizona Arizona to Missouri. Missouri. They want to move from agency to product. They want to move from freelance to to product, graphic design to product. Uh, When you made the move, what was most surprising to you, or like what, looking back, what's something that you kind of wish you'd known or things that could have helped prepare you better for making that transition into something new?
2: Yeah, I did not understand how product design worked. Okay. I was how does used to, product design work? I was used to agency life, where you can just come in and flip something entirely without, you know, batting an mm-hmm. eye, right? Where it's like we just need to overhaul everything. You can't do that in a product, um, and so it was very much like, all right, how do we incrementally improve this? You know, how do we not completely disorient our users constantly? How do we do this in a way that is familiar and will, you know, help them, and not like you know, alienate them? that was hard for me to get my head wrapped around. Um, I didn't do a ton of product work the first few months. We we went on to launch a tool called workspaces, which is basically um, an in-house IDE for yeah. us. So one of the, one of the hard things like you want to learn how to write rails, like you got to figure out how to spin rails up on your machine. And if you're on windows, that's impossible, you know? So kind of removing some of those barriers, workspaces was a way to do that. And that became essentially the tool, the, the feature and the, the products thing that I worked on. And that was kind of my baby for a couple of years. So, and that's where I cut my teeth doing product design. We're just sort of learning like a very technical, very like specialized tool, you know, kind of help and grow that and, you know, make that work in a very specific way.
1: How long did you do IC work for? Obviously you moved on.
2: Yeah, about two years. Um, so not long after I joined tree house, uh, we, the company decided to go flat. Which means we got rid of all management, which was exciting and interesting. I came to eventually hate it.
1: We should also mention that it's also a remote company.
2: We were remote, so we were you know distributed. We have offices in Orlando, Portland, but that's primarily to you know to shoot Wait. shoot video. Did, did port- I just say Orlando and Portlando?
0: Yeah, you did. <laughs> it's I was like, uh, late. it's late.
2: Portland,
3: Orlando, classic Portland.
2: We have offices there, but those are primarily studios. I mean, we have to shoot all our video content. And so, um, but at mo- I mean, really anybody in the company can work from home if they want, you know? Yeah. So yeah, we were remote, we were flat. It was, it was the wild West. It was hard to get stuff done. It was hard to build teams around ideas. Did that for about two years. At the end of it, I was like, I actually don't feel like there's growth opportunity in this company anymore. Um, I've been doing the same thing I've been doing for two years. I, I, I would like to maybe try to move on and do something else. And I thought about leaving. I thought I would want to get into the creative direction or something else. And right as that happened, they decide to do away with flat and bring back in a management structure. And for me, it was like, now there's opportunity here again. And so I made a very specific decision to go into management at that point. How
0: did that decision come about?
2: Yeah. So there's a couple, a couple factors that went into that. I'd grown lonely, mm-hmm. uh, working remote being flat. I didn't have a team that I worked with. It was literally just every man from himself in some regard. And that's one of the kind of the negative consequences of that decision. Um, there's a lot of positive stuff that came out of it, but that's kind of like where it started to break down and where the company leadership realized like, Oh, Hey, we actually need to fix this. And they did, which was great. But, I was lonely and I knew being a manager would allow me to interface with people on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd always, I've, you know, this is kind of, I don't know, not a humble thing to say, but I've always felt like a leader in some regard. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up, I just always kind of naturally gravitated towards wanting to be in charge of things. And, you know, people just, it just sort of worked. It was kind of natural. Um, and so, for me, I always, always, if I was on a team, I would always want to lead the team. You know, I had no problems making decisions and just going. Yeah, with ambitious, it. yeah, ambition would be one way to put that, I suppose. Um, so it was very much like twofold: I want to do this, but I also f- see this as an opportunity to build relationships with the people around me um, and to not be so lonely. So it's selfish <laughs> as well.
1: <laughs> the loneliness part, I, I totally understand. I, I experienced a lot of the
2: same. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. Remote work is tough, man. Yeah. I've been doing it for four years. It's the same
1: thing for me about the freelance. It's like you get the freedom in some, uh, I didn't, I'm speaking a little bit without totally knowing, but it seemed to me that I got the freedom with the stability of a job, but now the trade-off was loneliness.
2: Yep. It was always a trade-off.
1: Isolation, right? Like that was the trade-off for me versus maybe freelance is like freedom and, less stability or something like that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Remote work is, is something I I think a lot about and I'm grateful that I get to do it, but it's not like, it's not a silver bullet. You know, it affords a lot of things, but it also prevents you from being able to do a lot of things. So anyway, management, the ultimate reason that I decided to go into it was I was no longer challenged by product design. Hmm. So it wasn't that I'd learned everything. It's just that I felt like I kind of, I understood it to a point where the return on investment was going to be kind of become less and less. And I needed a challenge that would force me to grow more than product design was. Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be management. Um, and it, it's very much been a challenge, but yeah. it was ultimately one of those things where it's like, I want to be a manager. And then it's like, all right, now I want to like, I want to like, I want to level this up. Like I want to get really good at this and, you know, really nail this down. Because like, I had no experience.
1: Yeah. How do you even start? Like, I imagine if I wanted to learn how to illustrate, I can Google some stuff yeah. and come up with some tutorials so and So if some you want to be a manager, you just right.
2: got to go find a team and start bossing around. No, like what no was, <laughs> that's not how it works. What
1: were, what were helpful resources for you as you made that transition?
2: So Trios, in my opinion, did a very good job of this. They actually hired um, an outside consultant and kind of brought in a management framework And so they did a lot of hiring from within with as far as the managers go, which I think was another really good decision. And then we got a lot of very, very quality training on how to be a manager. So stuff that you just don't realize, like I wouldn't have had any clue about this, you know, had, had we not received this training, but how to do one-to-ones. I mean, it's practical stuff, you know, um, how to, how to give feedback, um, how to help, you know, how to help people solve their own problems. Um, how to like actually care about people. Um, in my opinion, management, you know, <laughs>
1: teach me how to care.
2: <laughs> yeah, in my opinion, management is very much a, it's a bottom up yeah. thing for me. Yep. Like my job is I'm there not to lord it over the team and not to tell them what to do, but my job is to na- enable them to succeed. And so I'm doing my job when the obstacles are removed and they've got a clear path of work in front of them that they can execute on. Right. They know what they need to do and they can get it done. And it doesn't require me to be involved. Mm mm-hmm. I think that's what good managers do. There's an, so that's, that's kind of the project manager side of things. The people management is like, you're there to care about them, like to truly like care about them in a professional setting and as a personal setting and help them succeed in life. And that's kind of the mindset I try to have where it's like, look, I'm I'm here. I genuinely care about you. I want to know what it's going to take for you to be fulfilled and happy in life. And let's see what we can do to accomplish that. You know? So that, that's kind of my philosophy on management in some ways. Um, a lot of that was informed by some of the the training that we received, but it was it was really helpful, you know how to I mean just like how to do a one to one, you know how to not make that all just about you, how to make that about you know the the your report at that point. Um,
1: What's been the hardest part the of management? I was that exact same question. The hardest thing to learn.
2: You got to hold people accountable, man. <laughs> um, you actually kind of have to yeah. like. And I'm not this person. I want people to like me. So this is tough, but like you kind of have to hold their feet to the fire sometimes and push them. Um, and I mean, here's the reality too. You want to become a leader in a company. Um, you're just, you're just going to become a target for problems. Um, primarily being what I mean by that is like, you are now responsible for solving people problems, people's problems, whether that's organizationally, personally, whatever it is, you know? So one of the things that sucks about being a manager is you're the person they tell when they're quitting. I mean that stuff sucks. You know, it's hard. Um, you know, when they're having a problem and they're not happy with their job, you're the person that you're they're supposed to listen to and help them figure out how to get through that. You know? Um, that stuff's tough. Um, and it's it's more just tough from a relational standpoint. The thing that I struggle with and I like it's hard is again it's just accountability and knowing when I need to be like forward and forceful and kind of put my foot down and when I just sort of need to lay off and let them, you know, let somebody figure something out that's a hard for me. I've, I, I can't I find balance in that. I'm either like a total pushover and it's to the detriment of a project or whatever it might be, or I'm like way too hard and it just ticks people off. So, um, tact.
1: Is that the main thing you're working on right now?
2: I no, probably not right now. Um, so when you, so I'm, I'm in a director position now. So I'm like, I've got a team that I lead, but I also kind of sit as senior level within the company. And when you get to that level, your job is a lot about just maintaining relationships. Um, maintaining relationships with with, you know, a diverse set of people that you may not always see eye to eye with, you may not always understand. So the biggest thing for me that I work on is how do I how do I maintain a relationship with somebody that I may not necessarily always get along with? And how do we have a positive working relationship in the midst of that? How do we have mutual respect for one another? How do we collaborate on stuff how do we you know work together even though we may not want to so i've read some books on this uh anybody who's ever worked for me you know i run into there's one book specifically that my boss recommended me called crucial conversations it it like helped me in this in like so much because when i got to this this job now where i'm at director i found myself on my meetings with executives and like i couldn't hang with these guys they were just they were just Kind of not intentionally, but plowing me over and I would just get super nervous and anxious. I couldn't like communicate anymore, but I found myself in meetings with people who had a lot stronger opinions than me and I couldn't hang and I needed to figure out a way to actually have a voice in the midst of this stuff. And so I read this book and it was, it was really helpful and it just kind of gives you a framework because what happens is your body sabotages you at that point. You get in these instances, your adrenaline kicks in, all the blood leaves your brain, it goes to your hands and your feet because it either wants you to run away or to start punching somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of which I would advocate when you're in meetings with executives. But
1: they are options. But keep that it's in mind. what they your body wants, wants you to do. Yeah.
2: So this book kind of gives you a framework to how to trick your brain into staying engaged. Because when the blood leaves your brain, you can't think anymore, which means you can't communicate, which leads to all kinds of problems. So this book kind of gives you a framework of like, how do you keep your cool in the midst of potentially, you know, difficult conversations.
1: I have a hard time with that.
2: Read the book, my man.
1: I have a very hard, uh, I mean, if we're admitting things, like I get nervous.
2: Now, is this like confession time right now? A little bit. I still get nervous.
1: I get nervous, man. I just get, I
3: don't I know why. I think that's why. okay, though. I don't know
1: why. Like, I it's think it's part, okay. It's part talking to strangers. It's part feeling inadequate. It's part feeling like my opinion shouldn't count as much as ah you know yeah. it's I like, do feel that part we can talk yeah, about like, kind of stuff but like I don't have
3: a
0: good answer for you so it's not like whatever I'm doing isn't worthwhile or something
1: yeah but the the, the underlying problem is that is like all this mental stuff's happening but my body betrays me so my voice might yep. start to shake yep I might just Opt to be quiet instead of talk. I do the quiet thing a lot. Yeah, just like, yeah. Just like I, I don't have words right it. now. I'm yeah, gonna be quiet. Yeah. And I'm the same way. Tied this one over. I'm the
2: same way. I'll get in front of an authority figure and they'll kind of they'll get stern or whatever, and I'm just like, shit, toast. I'm done. Like I'm I'm gone. I'm I. You know I wasn't. I never really ever. Like learned how to challenge authority in that way either. I mean, I think that's definitely a learned skill.
1: I'm so unconfrontational. I think like it's, I feel like it's maybe, easy to <laughs> do
0: it confrontationally, but not easy to do it you in have a way to that's not productive. Care.
2: And that's the problem. I care. Yeah. I care. I want people to like me at the end of the day. Yeah. And I know that needlessly uh walking into conflict does not meet that end. See,
0: I'm really good at flipping that switch into not caring. It's not a problem solver necessarily
2: yeah you see and that's the thing like i think it's part of just trying to mature as a person you just have to realize like sometimes you just have to not care and accept the fact that people don't like you uh, well,
1: i'm a nice boy but i'm a nice boy
2: sometimes uh, you gotta flip that switch man mean boy speaking yeah. of hard things <laughs> hard things are hard
1: that there's a book i heard look at yes. that uh what's
0: keeping you up at night
2: what's keeping me up at night well, I will not give you the literal answer. Thank you. Oh,
1: thank God. You're Someone welcome. Fucking listens You've heard to this, this show. podcast.
2: Um, so uh, there's levels of this. Uh, I want to me and my family want to move. Mm-hmm. So that keeps me up at night thinking about that. That's that's a good thing. I know I know some people stuff that keeps them up at night is negative. It's because they're worried. Um, so I think a lot about that. How we're how we're going to pull that off with two kids and you know all the logistics of that. Um I think a lot about we just hired uh two folks on the design team at Treehouse. I think a lot about whether or not I'm giving them what they need to succeed or I'm enabling them to succeed, not that I have anything necessarily to give them, but as the director of design and as a manager, am I helping them, you know, come to a place of independence and success at Treehouse? Um, you know, some of it's just am I like, am I doing my job? You know, um, I think when you get into management, sometimes your job is less tangible. It's less measurable. There's not like a, Mm -hmm. I don't have an output at the end of the day. I was in, you know, three one-to-ones and four meetings. And, you know, I I wrote this Google doc. That's what I did today. (laughs) I made a slide deck.
1: Nice. You know? Hey, what did you do when you were just graduated from college and working freelance?
2: I made slide decks. Huh. (laughs) Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, know tease, I, I make the best damn slide decks. They are so good world. at this point. Um, no joke. The Probably the, the most used design that I've done at Treehouse is an internal slide deck.
1: Hey, communication moves mountains, man. When mine's, I in, mine's a time-lapse video of making some <laughs> iOS shit.
0: So. That's awesome. And when <laughs> it's, I'm, not, it's not like a yeah. it's presentation stuff, right? And when
2: I'm in those leadership meetings and people are using the slide deck that I designed and their 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 communication is so crystal clear and yeah. perfect. Fuck yeah! Feels I just good. say feels thank good. you for using that slide deck. And when they don't, sparks but fly. Like, you but always bad news bears, man. It <laughs> it feels,
0: bad news, smoky bear. It feels like your output that is most valuable should be like a product. But when it's just a communication thing, it's like a weird, like quasi okay state. Yeah. That's it's such a weird feeling. It's just less tangible you, and less permanent. Walls of text. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yo, gets me. I made some things that do not matter and <laughs> recorded a video and sped it up 20x. <laughs> this doesn't matter at all. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: It's crazy though, like a slide deck, right? Yeah. I mean, like it's it's literally it's Google Slides, it's a theme, yep. plug and play, good to go. Right? But just like and this gets some of my philosophy of design, I believe does like does part of jobs design's job is to enable. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, all I did in that was I enabled somebody who doesn't necessarily have design sense or the, you know, the eye to be able to do this on their own to communicate more clearly. That's what we did in that instance, you know, and it pays off because it, you know, it pays off in the company. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and some people, you know, they, they jack with it, they make it unreadable or whatever, but you know, that's, that's on them. You do what you could. Yeah, I do what I can. I I tried, right? Yeah. I tried. I tried. Um, but I, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I try to do with design. It's like, I think about, was like, our job is we're here to enable the company and enable, you know, um, our students and enable the teams around us to succeed. We've got a very specific skill set, and we know the tools. Um, we don't necessarily have the market cornered on ideas, but we can do is we can take intangibles and make them tangible. You know, we can take the abstract and make it concrete. Um, with your code hands. With my, with my numbed out fingers, mm-hmm. code hands, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, that's, uh, cool. that's something what keeps me up at night. Perfect.
1: Thanks for hanging out. Your yeah. Thanks so you
2: You're in town. Yeah. I hope it was, I hope it was, uh, this was fun. Exciting for you guys. Exciting. I really appreciate you guys bending the rules for me. What rules?
0: W- we won't talk about that. That's
1: fine. <laughs> Thanks, Matt.
2: You really should advertise that more. Just make, I mean, you guys set a trap for me. I just want you to know that.
1: Wait, we gotta, okay, let's end there. And I gotta hear what this trap was.
0: That was episode 185. Thanks to Matt for flying all the way here from Missouri just to come and hang out with us. It was real nice of him. We met some friends. We
1: hanged real good. Talked about Arizona, but. It was a thing. It was a thing. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter at DesignDetailsFM. Hit us up with those iTunes reviews. We enjoy reading them. Mm. otherwise so good come follow along we're working on cool stuff in our Slack team on a thing that will replace the Slack team but in the meantime spec.fm slash Slack join our Spectrum channel and be the first to know when we get stuff out the door
0: Brian have you revisited the journal post you made about community and where you first talked about Spectrum
1: no but I'm going to find it right now and everyone can listen while I find it thanks for listening found it thanks for listening we'll see you next week
2: dive in. Okay, you yeah. ready?
0: No. Y'all yeah. ready for this? All
2: right, wink. Wink when you're ready. Perfect. <laughs> you could hear that wink on Mike. <laughs> it's because I think he breathed too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just for the record, Brian, wink is with one eye.
1: I am winking. Wink. Boom. Am. All right. Anyway. What are you talking about? Okay.
2: <laughs> Moving on. One letter on. I.
0: You spelled it with two eyes.
1: Oh. Are we ready?